Flop of the Heap's mission is not to bash, rip, pan, grill, or flambe the Broadway productions we explore. Nor are we here to put performers and other artists down. We are merely here to revisit, and perhaps breathe new life into, Broadway musicals which would otherwise be lost to the ages. Finding enjoyment in the goofy. The absurd. The triumphs and foibles that come with making professional theater and art in general. We recognize the performers, technicians, directors, choreographers, producers, writers, and staff poured their life and soul into these shows. And that no single individual is responsible for the fate of a flop. More importantly, we also recognize that part of the creative process is failure, and believe facing those failures with a critical but genial attitude should be the norm. There could be no success without failure. After all, you can't spell hopeful without flop. Guten Tag, and welcome to the Flop of the Heap podcast, the only podcast where failure is always an option. I'm your host, Mark. And I'm John. What is Flop of the Heap? Flop of the Heap is a show for theater lovers or haters or just the apathetic. There's a hundred thousand podcasts about musicals, but none like this one. Do you like B-movies, folks? Of course you like B-movies. Well, maybe you'll like B-musicals, huh? From the unappreciated or the misguided or the downright absurd. Oh, yeah. This being our very first episode, I have decided I wanted to create a magical experience. So, I have decided to present to you, the audience, and to you, my good friend John, Merlin the Magic Musical. Yay! But before that, a word from our sponsor. The Flop of the Heap podcast is brought to you by... Celebs are food at Instagram, the only Instagram account where celebrities are, in fact, food. Now offering 2021 Celebrities or Food calendars, including all your favorites like Rhubarbra Streisand, Okra Winfrey, Sardina Menzel, and Patty Lumarscapone. Celebs underscore R underscore food at Instagram for more info. Flop of the Heap wants to normalize failures as part of the creative process. Mm. Who doesn't fail every once and again? I know I do. So we want to hear from you. Tell us all about your flop of the week and have it read right here on the show. You can email us at show at flopoftheheappodcast.com or you can find us on Twitter at flop of the heap. You can also share with us your thoughts and suggestions for future episodes. We want to hear from you. Oh, also, please support us. You can find us on Patreon. Uh, and if you join on Patreon, you'll gain access to the community forum. Ooh, special episodes. Ah, and oh my God, lucky you, special Q&A sessions with John and I, plus much, much more. I hope you're ready to belly flop in. Merlin is coming right at you. John, cue the orchestra. Long before King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, there was a young magician learning how to be a wizard. 
starring Doug Henning and Cheetah Rivera as the Queen. Nice kitty. Merlin, the magical musical at the Mark Hellinger Theater. Call Charger today at 944-9300. Order tickets now before they disappear. All right, so let's get down to basics. Our first show, the one we've chosen for episode one, is Merlin. What year was it, Mark? 1983. 1983. Yeah. 83. Yep. Okay. And uh, how many performances? 199 did it run? performances. Okay. Is there a record of how many previews? I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it is 69. <laughs> so we got 199 performances, which is part of the definition of a flop. Correct. Yes, under Correct. 250. And, and, and yep. that number, where did you get that number from? Oh, that number is from uh, this book that I've been reading to find any flops that I didn't know about. It's called Not Since Carrie. What's the author's name? Ken Mendelbaum, is that correct? Mendelbaum, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Carrie, do we have any uh, plans to do that show? To do Carrie? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if that might be a to do it, We have to do it eventually. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of got like this... We'll make it episode 100. We'll see if we get that far. <laughs> It's got a sort of cult thing to it. I, I mean, it definitely... Well, Carrie definitely, if we're, you know, since it's our first episode, let's keep honing in on what exactly is a flop. Like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. some of the some of my favorite shows are ones that didn't do particularly well. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't always come down to how long they lasted. It could be... There's plenty of shows that did well regionally afterwards. Plenty that have a certain cult status um or even i mean even a show that like got badly reviewed but had some kind of a life afterwards you know like yeah, there was a big production you know somewhere around the country yeah. that was yeah. you know won some acclaim and i mean every once in a, not that this saves it but you know like it'll be performed as a small concert with a small performance like encores or something like that. I don't know that. Sure, yeah. And th- and that's like sometimes they do, I mean, so forgotten musicals is a totally different category, but there are some flops within the genre of forgotten musicals. Certainly a lot, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Not all. Yeah. But like some shows just aren't done anymore, you know, because they're quaint or... Yeah, obviously. Um. So, okay, so Merlin, 1983, Uh, do, what theater was it at? It was at the Mark... Hellinger Theater, which uh, doesn't oh, exist. The poor Mark Hellinger. Does it exist anymore? It's on 51st Street. Uh, eventually became the Times Square Church. Do you know where that is? Yes. Is it, Yeah, uh, that used to be I the had always, In my brain, I feel like the Church of Times Square is the theater. It's And it's still there. Am I wrong? But it's not a theater. Well, I, what I mean is when they walk in yes. to the to church, is it just the is it just the same? I think it's been somewhat retrofitted, but it is. I haven't been in there because I'm Jewish and I'll, you know, melt. But from what I understand, they've kept a lot of the guts of the theater. Other shows happening on Broadway uh, the season that Merlin opened, it was pretty lackluster. We had Baby, Blood Brothers, Lacage, Dance a Little Closer, which is a, a Lerner and Strauss flop, which perhaps mm-hmm. we can do an episode on one day. Uh, My One and Only, which was pretty big success. Tommy Toon, yeah. right? Uh, Sunday in the Park with George, obviously. Oh, boy. Big hit. Um, well, not big hit. I don't know. It Artistic hit. We Theater people love Sunday in the Park. Theater people love every critical, critical hit. show. Except Pacific Overtures. Um, Gene Seberg was another flop by Marvin Hamlish that was open that season. And a, a handful of other stuff. Um, okay, so who wrote it? Uh, the book. Uh, Richard Levinson and William Link 
probably never heard of them. They're the guys who wrote Columbo. Everyone knows after Columbo, everyone was just <laughs> dying for these guys to write a musical. So here we are. Yeah, these guys needed to do this. <laughs> really? This was part of the reason it was a stellar yeah. success, I imagine. Um, the music is by <laughs> Elmer Bernstein. No relation to Leonard. And the lyrics... Elmer, Elmer Elmer Bernstein, famous in his own right for doing quite a bit of Hollywood yes. music. Lyrics know. by Don Black, who probably of all of them is the most well-known. Uh, Don Black, remind me who Don wrote Black the lyrics is. lyrics for a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber shows. Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Starlight Express, I want to say. Earlier Webber stuff. Um, he also did The Goodbye Girl with Marvin oh, Hamlish. I didn't know that. And he did uh, Dracula with Wildhorn. Oh, well, let's not. We might cover that. Maybe we'll I cover mean, that at some point. Uh, uh, Don Black also Bombay Dreams, Dance of the Vampires, Whistle Down Dance the Wind. Dance of the Vampires we're definitely doing. Uh, he also wrote, get this, three James Bond theme songs. What was the budget of the show? Do you remember? Do you have that info? And we want, to, we want to tell the audience whether the show lost money yeah. or not. And I imagine for most of our flops, the answer will be yes. There's not a lot out there. I don't know what kind of murky numbers are going on with the producers. But for cost, I found anywhere between 3 and $9 million to put the show up. Okay. my I read an estimate that said 4 to $6 mil, Yeah. And it did, lo- in fact, lose money. Yeah. Oh, well, duh. <laughs> Okay, so now this show is really different than a lot of musicals. For those out there that have no idea what the show is, break it down for them. What is it? <laughs> so, it no, so it is a magic show disguised as a musical. And it's about Merlin. You know him. You love him. Uh, if you're into Arthurian legend, I guess you uh, revere who isn't? Is the show shorter than Camelot? I'm into it. Any show is shorter than Camelot. <laughs> so this is sort of a prequel to all of that Arthurian legend. And it stars okay. Doug Henning. Well, who the hell is Doug Henning? That was very believable, John. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Doug Henning is sort of this goofy, extra polite Canadian David Copperfield of the 70s and 80s. He's sort of like the Barney of magic. Um, (laughs) Meaning that his performance is syrupy? Yeah, he sort of makes Bob Ross seem intense. How is he as a magician? So, someone in the magic community is going to yell at me for this. Um, I, watching his stuff, have not been impressed. And for two reasons. One of them is going to come up when we're talking more about the specifics of the musical, and that's no matter what he's doing, the Muppet Show, uh, the Magic Show, which we'll discuss very soon, or this, it's a lot of the same recycled tricks. And maybe maybe in that time period, 70s, 80s, he was way ahead of the game, and no one ever ever seen this type of magic before. It might be like you watch David Copperfield or Chris Angel or whoever the hell the big magician is now and it seems like there's a lot more variety they're constantly upping the stakes of the game but it might be a a, i'm looking at through a 2020 lens so doug henning plays (laughs) oh god the titular role of merlin just merlin plain old 
young adult Merlin, not to be confused with old Merlin or young Merlin, who are both part of the script. Uh, oh. Yeah. I think before we need to talk a little bit more about Doug Henning, but we also need to talk a little bit about the magic show, as I mentioned before, which was Henning's Broadway debut. And that was about a decade before Merlin um, and was, believe it or not, a commercial um, success. Yes. All right. Yeah. I mean, I did a little preliminary research on Doug Henning. I mean, uh, so obviously, as our research for the yeah. show, we watched what is available, and there isn't a ton. Um, the opening number of the show is on, uh, was it a Tony Awards uh, yep. performance? Yeah, and it has my absolute, it's just the wisest line I'd ever heard from anyone performing the role of Merlin in anything. What's that? Where did the ducks go? <laughs> so if it's not a great trick, just make sure you ask what happened at the end in case anyone wasn't wondering. <laughs> I was watching the dancing. I don't know where the ducks went. Um, well, so Doug Henning was like the the idea. He was the heart and, you know, brainchild of this particular musical with people that obviously he got in contact with. I don't know much about that story. I do know that Doug Henning, obviously he's this sort of Canadian magician that was up and coming in entertainment in the 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of discovered magic as a kid, but then, you know, outgrew it when he became a teenager and was going to go into other things. He was going to study psychology, I believe. He eventually met a director named Ivan Reitman, who he appeared um, when he appeared in the 1968 production of Little Abner that Reitman directed. So, wait, wait. Doug Henning was in a production of Little Abner? So, Doug Henning was, you know, like, 1968, 22 years old, in a regional production or a community production of Little Abner, and this fellow Ivan Reitman was the director. Uh, There was a successful magic musical that he put together that opened in Toronto, and it would later become The Magic Show. Schwartz's The Magic Show in 74. Mm -hmm. Now, Magic Show is not a flop, right? No. uh, It ran 1900 over 1900 performances and yet it kind of has the same mixed review that this show eventually would get in that what in that you can't do a magic show and call it a musical (laughs) and you can't make a magician with no singing or acting ability the center of the show yeah there was a conversation with someone i forget who it was an interview regarding the show and they were talking about how you know i might have been cheetah rivera because cheetah was in merlin she was the villainous and i might have been cheetah who said that you know she wished that magic artists like doug henning had been more involved in broadway productions to create the one illusion that needs to happen at the end of act two or the amazing visuals that you see in a big number, you know, but when it's just trick after trick after trick, everyone knows that the story is extraneous to the magic doing of the tricks and no, and everyone loves magic and magic's amazing. I love a magic show. Yeah. And the thing is in the interview that she did at the time of the show, and you can find this clip on YouTube and she has a great performance before it, but she sort of keeps saying That she feels, she's like, oh, Broadway's all about the spectacle now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and, but she was saying it in a really, she's one of the, apparently like one of the nicest people in the world. I'm not surprised. Um, She was trying not to put the show down, but I don't know. I sort of got this sort of like underlying thing that she was like saying, you know, there's a lot of flashy stuff and it's not my preference, but you should come see our show anyway. Yeah. From what I recall in that interview, it seemed like she was 
doing her best to be positive, which I imagine she is in any cast she's ever been in. She's mm-hmm. probably the mother hen of every... I mean, this is what happens in my in my brain. This is how I imagine her to be. Let's do it. We keep saying Cheetah Rivera. If you don't know who she is, because we're not trying to just get Broadway people to listen to this thing, uh, she's the original... Um, Original Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, wait, was she originally in Bye Bye Birdie? I was going to talk about. Oh my god, West I'm editing Story. that out, Mark. You can't oh not god, know that. You're going to ruin. You're going to ruin any legitimacy we have. What was she in Bye Bye Birdie? She was Rosie in Bye Bye Birdie. What are you talking about? I didn't know that. I have to edit all of this out. <laughs> wow. Oh my I'm god. Not it just goes to show. Just goes to show you learn something new about musicals every day. You know what, Birdie is the first musical I ever did, and I did not know that fact. Wow, that's horrendous. Tell me more about yeah. Cheetah Rivera's career. Uh, West Side Story, that's Fa- whatever. Foss- Fosse Dancer, West Side Story. That's Fosse what Dancer would go from. on to do uh, Chicago and The Rink. Yes, a ton of shit. I saw her in Drood, which I loved Drood. That was a... I love the revival. She, well, she, she's, she's one of those Broadway legends. She's a Broadway legend who has worked consistently through the years. Yes. You know, she's always been doing something. She seems so sincere in this interview when she says, you know, he's like, so how's the show? And of course, it's a talk show. So your answer is, it's so much fun. Me and the <laughs> cast are having a blast. Can't wait for you to bring the kids and see it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, back to the magic show. I feel like we need a couple more. Facts oh yes, about so that. the Magic you Show was seventy four, and it had some it had some, some success. Um, after Broadway, Henning uh, recreated Houdini's water torture escape routine for NBC. That was like mm-hmm. huge, and that's when he became like obviously we all know those of us that work in theater that the theater world is very small, and the audiences are small, and once you get to Hollywood, the amount of money you make, the number of people who know who you are, exponentially grows. So he was like, you know, family TV, NBC, Doug Henning's World of Magic, hosted by yep. Bill Cosby, you know, yep. beloved oh. children's entertainer Bill Cosby <laughs> in 1975, um, nope. performed, uh, so he performed the uh, Houdini's Illusion, he notoriously did not break Houdini's time record, which I'm sure destroyed him inside. I'm sure he was fine, he's such a happy guy, he's probably like, good try, Doug, good try. This was for Houdini. This is a good time. Did everyone have a good time? You know, okay, so something we haven't talked about yet is how Doug Henning is also, like, a spiritualist. Oh, and the happiest person, which is why, why Magic Show worked, because the he's sort of trippy and out there and happy and just, like, completely uh, has no idea what the hell's but going it, on But it is part him. of his, it is part of his performance, it is part of his magic... And that's the character to, in to Magic be, Show. Yes, to be childlike, to yes. be whimsical, and to be joyful. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just not always very pizzazzy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even in Magic Show. Uh, so the basis is uh, Floundering Nightclub. They hire this magician, Doug, apparently. I don't know what who made that choice. I don't know if Doug Henning couldn't remember his character name or what the hell's going on. To come save this nightclub because they currently their headliner is this drunken aging magician and Doug's character is so unaware of what's going on around him that he almost gets killed by this aging magician via a Rube Goldberg machine that's also a magic trick oh that's right that's it's a bizarre show you can watch it on um, YouTube YouTube 
uh, uh-huh. Miss Ms. Ms. Didi Khan uh-huh. uh, was in the magic show. She played uh, the magician Doug's love interest. Mm-hmm. She sings uh, Lion Tamer in her special way. Uh, love interest is a good way to put it because, like everything else, the character of Doug is oblivious to oblivious. the fact that his best friend and magical assistant loves him. <laughs> It loves it. It is deeply in love with him. And you, you that that is established every minute of every scene the wants, entire show. Uh, wants to do some magic and make his pants disappear. <laughs> From my next trick, I'm going to separate your zipper. <laughs> Two halves. <laughs> so, Doug Henning. Also, here's some good stuff. After all his Broadway stuff, he's done with that. He decides that he is going to start a spiritual theme park. Uh, what? He's going to do it with the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who's the same spiritual advisor that the Beatles and the Beach Boys had. So ah. if you like the Beatles when they got all trippy and they had sitars, this is the guy who you can thank. Um, so they're going to open this 1,400-acre theme park in Ontario uh, near Niagara Falls. Doug Henning says, quote, most theme parks are superficial. Uh, the idea of combining a theme park with awakening human consciousness has been very well received. Uh, the thing's going to cost $1.5 billion. Okay, so this theme park was never built. Never built. Uh, I have a quote here. Nathan Lane, I could find this quote on only one webpage. It was like a GeoCities crap webpage made by God knows who. I don't know if this quote is real. It sounds like something Nathan Lane would say, but I cannot for sure say he said it. (laughs) It is definitely true. (laughs) Quote, in response to this um, spiritual theme park, quote, I guess you put down a pillow and a mattress and pretend you were on a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, clearly. <laughs> and of course, Nathan Lane, a verifiable quote about Merlin itself is, I, I, believe, I believe it is the best, <laughs> the, the best illusion Doug Henning did was making the audience disappear. <laughs> and now, Flop of the Heap presents Storytime with John Bowe. Here are some of my favorite awful lyrics from Merlin. In Cheetah's big number, I Can Make It Happen, the opening lyrics are, I'll think of something special for Merlin. Yes, that shouldn't be too hard for me. I'll surprise the young fool, destroy the young fool, and I'll do it satanically. And then this vamp begins, complete with Guiro, and you expect to hear everybody says don't. In the opening number, Merlin sings, You'll be amazed. You'll see. When you see... Amazingly. Merlin may be a great wizard, but he's not a great lyricist. This has been Storytime with John Bow. In a 1983 Playbill interview, Henning explained that the plot of Merlin sort of echoes his own story. Ready for this? Oh god, help. A young magician looking for his purpose. Oh god. Searching in beautiful women. No! The gratification of his ego. Oh! For power to enhance his own pleasure. Merlin's journey is from using selfish magic to gain his own ends to learning real magic and using it for the good of the world. And I went through these things in my life. Oh, God. I was a little kid from Canada who came to Broadway and suddenly I, oh, I was famous. People were showering me with presents and offers of money and women. <laughs> 
You don't know what it's like. You're in your dressing room and four beautiful girls come backstage to see you every night. Oh God, I need to like, I need a drink. So I was just like Merlin. He has magic in the beginning, but he doesn't know how to use it. Oh my God. My God. So after that, this is my favorite part. The political career for Doug Henning. The Natural Law Party. How much, Do you have anything on that, or are we just going to play the clip? Well, um, in the 70s, Doug Henning was, like, he was somebody. Like, he was a name that everyone in America knew because they watched the Doug Henning special once a year. Remember, there were only, like, what, 10 channels back then? True. So, yeah, he was, like, a, a household name. He, you know, he also wrote, uh, he co-wrote a biography of Houdini. Did you know that? I did not know that. John, I don't know if you know this. I played Houdini in the national yes, I know tour you did. of of Ragtime. Uh, yes, and I I played Henry Ford in the same tour. I, it's funny, and we never met. He never met. Yeah, we never like ran into each other. <laughs> so okay, let me let me just wrap up with some of uh, Doug Henning's attributes here. Uh, he he actually did illusions for Earth, Wind, and Fire in the seventies. He did stuff for Michael Jackson in the seventies. And the and the eighties, uh, he made a famous appearance in the Muppet Show, which is how some of our listeners might know him, because a lot of the old school celebrities that I know are from that one episode Doing of the Muppet the Show that I know them on. Exact same tricks that he did in the Magic Show. Sure, of course, except with, with furry yeah, Muppets. Exactly. Um, so eighty three, Merlin comes along, and he's a name. So you know, people who are producing theater, Broadway in the eighties are really going out on a limb and taking a chance because nothing is working. Yeah. You know, like, Broadway is a horror show in the 80s, as is Times Square and New York in general. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, yeah, bring your kids to New York, come see the magic show. And millions of kids did, you know? Yeah. I, I guess, you know, I'm thinking, ne- but it's not disguised as a musical. Oh, wait, I'm thinking, no, li- I'm thinking of, of like, I'm thinking tens of, like, of the thousands gazillion, of kids did. I'm thinking of, like, the gazillion bubble show, but they don't try to sell that as a, or a musical, so it's it's different. So... He leaves the world of magic. I, uh-huh. I suppose the man became disillusioned with it <laughs> at some point. And uh, he goes back to his home country of Canada and runs for office. You know, he's a famous Canadian and he runs on, like, the Ohm ticket. <laughs> the Ohm ticket. Which is, I mean, notable. I mean, I, I mean, we we all know that, uh, you know, being centered and and calming yourself down and... Not being positive necessarily, I'm but I'm incapable being, of all the things uh, you're talking about. Well, I know you're so neurotic, and <laughs> I really am too. But I, but I, you know, I've read my Eckhart Tolle, and I know I know what's what. I ha- I have respect yeah. for people who go that journey, and, yeah. and you know. Yeah. So, but still, like, I just don't know if it translates to political. No, absolutely office. not. Uh, so, <laughs> we'll play the clip for everyone. To, this is one of my favorite clips I've ever seen in my entire life. It's pretty wackadoo. It's kind of absurd. Hello, everyone. I'm an expert in making things disappear. My natural law party will make the problems of the nation disappear as darkness disappears with the onset of light. Coherence in national consciousness will be created by a few groups of experts in natural law in the country practicing Maharishi's transcendental meditation and yogic flying. Stress, strain, and problems in national life will be eliminated. Scientific research shows that yogic flying produces increased brain coherence and harmony is generated throughout society. The programs of my natural law party are scientific and reliable. I invite you 
to place your confidence in us. Okay. If you go find this clip, I'm going to describe to you, in case you don't actually want to go look for it, when he's talking about the yogic flying or whatever the hell he called yogic it. Yogic flying. I mean, that's where he loses me. Like, I could have voted. At, like, being who I am, I could have voted for him up until this point. It's a bunch of men on mattresses with their legs crossed, staying cross-legged and sort of flinging themselves forward without... I, I mean, I don't think I could do it. Requires a ton of core strength, I'm sure. But the fact that he's sort of selling that as something that's going to save the nation is just bonkers how about healthcare? how's that sound <laughs> i mean yes and that's probably what most canadians were yeah. thinking as well yeah. at the time did they have good health care back then i don't know when their good health care started have you ever thought about writing a musical about the healthcare system that'd be pretty good we can call it health exclamation that's point the, that's the key to writing any musical just the basic of what it's about exclamation point all right so should we go now that we know all about doug should we go back to merlin Okay, so tell the people who else was in the Broadway production of Merlin 1983. So, I got two more big ones for you here. First of all, let me go back. Let's review. Um, Cheetah Rivera plays the evil queen who does not have a name. Poor choice. What, what makes a flop? A lead without a name. Exactly. Her plan is to stop Arthur from becoming the once and future king. Uh, and to do this, she has to get Merlin out of the way. So she turns a panther into a gorgeous woman to seduce let, the young. Let me, let me guess, a live panther that appears out of nowhere? Yeah, which cool. is exactly what they did in the magic show, except it was a lion. Right. Um, yeah, so this is going to seduce the young and apparently... And see, th- th- let's, talk about, let's talk about why the show failed. <laughs> right from that point, it's like, oh... You wanted to do this trick, and so you wrote the plot point around it, and yes. so the plot is sullied. Yes, exactly. You do not care. <laughs> yeah. So she hopes to place her son, Prince Fergus. Who... Prince Fergus? Well, who plays Prince Fergus? Well, that would be Nathan Lane, but we talked oh, about that. Oh, I yeah. bet he was hilarious. Yeah. So he plays this sort of dumb playboy type. Um, yeah, so she wants him on the throne instead of Arthur. He definitely suffers from affluenza so on top of nathan lane we have a couple so more. you said there's an old merlin and a young merlin because oh, yeah, obviously yeah. the show the, the concept of the show is you're back and forth in time and old merlin yeah. singing about his old days and la 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 uh the old merlin was played by george lee andrews and do you know what he holds the world record for john uh, most performances of phantom most performances in a single Broadway show, and that show being Phantom. He's performed in Phantom, Jesus Christ, 9,382 times oh over a period of 23 God. years. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Wow. What, yeah. might, what must it be like? What's the longest run you've ever done? Uh, ragtime. What did we do? We did we hit two hundred on that? Two hundred, two hundred performances. Yeah, I think I've done like close to three hundred, but that's it. Could you imagine? Was he always in the same role? No, he he switched back and forth. No, he played I think some of the smaller Uh, roles. Yeah, and if you go and watch that Tony Awards clip, uh, he's basically like the star of it. Gotcha. Because they needed someone who could sing. So also in that clip, you'll see who does play young Merlin. You're never gonna figure it out by looking at him because he's so young and happy and excited uh young merlin was played by a young christian slater 
Oh, wow. All right, so that's what I have for the exciting members of mm. the cast. Anyone else who's in the cast? Well, you know, interestingly, Rebecca Wright was in the cast, which anyone who's like a, a dancer, oh, was, you know, dancers yeah. would know who Rebecca Wright is. She's f- pretty well known. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> we forget that Debbie Henning was, was in the cast. Wait, I didn't catch that. Debbie What's Henning? Oh, she was in the ensemble. Ah. Yes. That seems... We, um. Well, I mean, we that wonder. Was since, we that wonder. was in the contract. What was the, what was the sure cast dynamic got, with Debbie Henning? I'm sure she got the part all by herself. <laughs> uh, but Rebecca Wright played, what, a unicorn? Is that correct? Uh, yes. She was yeah. like this spiritual force unicorn that entered and was a love interest of some kind. I don't really know. Um, also interesting, uh, so there's a wizard also in the show that is a separate from Merlin and Doug Henning and More young wizards. Merlin. There, there's also a wizard in that, and he was played by Edmund uh, Edmund Lindeck, not, who is best known for originating the role of Judge Turpin, so all of us know his voice in our oh. head. And he, he, who was the same guy who played Cinderella's father in the original Into the Woods. Did not know that. Yeah, imagine going from Judge Turpin to Cinderella's father. <laughs> I literally, All I can think about right now is Doug Henning awkwardly but sexually touching that unicorn's horn in that video (laughs) like to everyone watching it i'm like this is sexual to doug henning i don't know that it was so so we've given we've given the folks the details you know we've given them the rundown and now the show part of the reason that any show musical Mm -hmm. there's quotes happening around the word musical with doug henning in the lead (laughs) is that he is perhaps the least charismatic Broadway leading man that you can imagine. One might argue that he's not a terribly charismatic magician. Yeah, I would agree. And the Doug Henning fan club is going to come after us hardcore. I know. Do you think they exist? I imagine there's also a Doug Henning fan club. I can't imagine it's big as the Houdini fan club, but you know, it probably exists. (laughs) Um, You know, he, and I pointed this out to you when we were watching the video of magic show. And he does this in that, Tony Awards performance as well. Every time he does a trick, he does the same exact stance. He does the like classic magician, put your arms out, slightly arched, and he always bevels his left foot out to he the side. He does. He bevels his left time. foot a lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, there are a lot of tricks in a Doug Henning musical, and every time a trick occurs, he does the pose. And it's funny because he's a very slight man. He's a lanky small framed gentleman mustachioed mustachioed gentleman with a big just flock of hair yeah and kind of like a a cute adorable endearing overbite yes uh endearing is a good way to put it i guess it is it makes him it makes him thoroughly charming However, it doesn't make him an actor, a musical theater performer, a singer. All of his music was cut, right? Correct. Uh, so, like in, in previews of the show, like everything he sang was just eliminated and given to uh, other actors. Yes, and I, I wish to God I could find a clip of him singing. Sure. Now, there's one clip of Cheetah singing her. I think she had two songs in the show, but. She sings her main yeah. song, her first song, which is called um I can remember it? uh make it make it happen. I can make it happen. Something along the I can those make lines. it happen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And there's a clip of her singing it on a talk show to promote Merlin, and it's something. 
I actually really enjoyed that just because it was the right balance. It's that number had the balance that the rest of the show needed. It was a good musical number with a good performer and just enough magic to make me go, "Ooh, I didn't see that coming." Okay. Uh, so just to describe the number. So what you're saying yeah. is the show had its moments. Yeah, and to describe that number for anyone who's gonna go watch, basically, Cheetah's singing this song, just a big cape. Uh, suddenly the cape starts moving on its own and it's clear it's a person who's part of it and they sort of become this sort of like butterfly moth looking thing with these long wings and then all of a sudden it turns into two of them and then two sort of like sexy rugged soldiers appear and start dancing with her it's a big dance number it's actually pretty enjoyable as far as I'm concerned and there's a lot of like cape work as I recall right yeah ca- lots like of cape that, work. that is associated with the magic design of the show yes Yes. I don't know. I like to, in my imagination, I, I I think that, you know, kids were bussed in from Jersey and PA to see Merlin on Broadway and, and had a good time and oh, yeah, I'm sure. were entranced by some of it. Uh, and actually, a lot of the illusions were well received by even the critics. Let's see, what did he do? He, Doug Henning made a, well, actually it was Cheetah, but I'm sure Doug designed it. Uh, he made a giant robot knight come to life, and it looked like it had absolutely no humans controlling it. Doug... Yeah, it was sort of yeah. built from objects that were already on the stage. Uh, Doug floated through the set in sort of a way that almost made Invisible Wire seem like an impossibility for that mm-hmm. to have been how it worked. Um, There's a, like a horse disappearing, So that's my right? favorite, and, so... And the panther. He... Or was it a leopard? It's a panther in this one. Oh, panther. Uh, but just like that, he kind of copied a, sh- a trick from the magic show. He gets in a box on a horse. It gets hoisted into the air. It, I don't know, opens or explodes or whatever. There's nothing in it. And he comes riding mm-hmm. from stage left or whatever on the horse. He did the same exact thing in the magic show, except it was a, mo- a motorcycle. And I- I'm just shocked that none of the critics went, wait a minute. I've seen this before. Sure. So the the tricks were pretty well received. And here, I love this. So the actors and the technicians and even the ushers were required to sign secrecy contracts, barring mm. them from revealing how any of the illusions worked. Yes. And that's, that's fairly standard practice if you work in that field. If you're a stagehand and you work backstage for, you know... An illusionist, you are, have to sign that paper. It's standard. I, ju- I don't protocol. know that it's standard for ushers, though. That seemed a little. Well, I imagine ushers would be in the theater often as they're maybe rehearsing yeah. things and you know doing stuff without lighting and whatnot. So I, I now perhaps this is where I have to bring up, and I don't know if you know this, Mark. I need to bring up the fact that I was once oh, in yeah. a production of a magic show musical that also did not work. Um, it was called the magic in the music Mm -hmm. and it was all Stephen Schwartz music approved of by Stephen Schwartz but you know it's just like a hodgepodge of Stephen Schwartz's music from all of his musicals including the magic show with a thin plot and once again it's like cool the reviews were the magic is cool the show doesn't work yeah but it was still, um, Mr. Andy Einhorn was the musical director on that show. Andy has mus- has conducted umpteen Broadway shows at this point mm-hmm. and is Audrey McDonald's personal accompanist. Oh. 
Well, that's so. Yeah, some big some big people yeah. came out of that production. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of accompanists, do you know who played in the pit for the magic show? Tell me, Paul Schaefer. No. Yes. <laughs> God, that blows my mind. Was he wearing sunglasses in the pit? That's a great question. <laughs> he was first keyboard? I guess so. Let me... I should double check that, but I believe... What? Yeah. You're blowing my mind. Christian Slater in the same theater as, Paul as Nathan Lane, Paul Schaefer, Cheetah Rivera, and De- De- Debbie Henning. Yeah. So lots of lots of people attached to both... The Magic Show and Merlin. Um, okay, so anecdotes and stories. Okay. Um, one night, the, uh, the after the unicorn scene, Henning walks off stage, and before they turned his mic off, you could hear him saying something to the effect of, the audience isn't getting it. And then you hear several people, including Cheetah, tell him that his mic is on. <laughs> All right, so... What else do you need to say? Because I'm excited to move on to our next topic. Okay. Um, should I get to the reviews? Are we there yet? To... Well, Mark, that's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, it can we get a can we get a drum roll, please? Kettle drum. Ladies and ge- ladies and gentlemen, it is time for critical reception. Still <laughs> recalling this is going to be music. Yes, critical ba, ba, reception. Ba. Let's talk okay. about it. So, okay, g- give me some of your favorite quotes. Well, you know what? I need to mention this first, because this comes down to something that happened with the reviewers. And to understand this, you have to understand how Broadway shows open. When a Broadway show goes up, it is not immediately open. It goes through previews, okay? And often the show is still in the process of being not rewritten necessarily, but adjusted. The cuts are still being made. Things might be added. In in some very famous shows, Fiddler on the Roof, for example, complete sections of the score and script were removed and other songs were put in during previews. It's really a crazy time. And it's understood that during that time, critics don't come to review the show. It's like an unspoken rule. And usually previews last, what would you say, about 30 or so previews, maybe? I think average is 35, yeah. Yeah, something around there. So Merlin kept pushing back their opening over and over again. Um, it had run 69 previews by the time it had opened, and that had never been done before, at least very seldom. And they okay. almost immediately started selling tickets during the previews at full price as if they were open. Um, a lot of people claim the reason that this was happening was they knew critics would sink the show and they had spent so much money on all the television ads that they thought that they could kind of like ride that oh, wave as long as sure. they could. So mm-hmm. if- And make sure that word of mouth had a chance to... Well, you know, and that's interesting because a lot of... With a lot of these shows, you know, the critical reception is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if the if the critics all pan your show on opening night, it could sink your show even if it has merit. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was eventually the critics, mostly Frank Rich of the New York Times, took it upon themselves to open the show for the producers. They bought it. <laughs> yeah. So usually critics would be given tickets. They paid for their own tickets and just showed the hell up and started reviewing the show. Um, so Frank Rich, he's I think most, if not all, of the quotes I have here because 
he just I have a ver- I have my favorite quote is the Frank Rich quote. Okay. Um, I don't have too many others now. Uh, why don't you give me yours so that I don't? Uh... Okay, so my favorite critical reception, and I f- here I found it. Here's the yeah. exact wording: "Quote according to Nathan Lane, Doug Henning's greatest trick was making the was making the audience disappear." <laughs> <laughs> it's a good Nathan Lane. I would probably not. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so give me your give me your top Frank Rich, and then I'll give you mine. Okay, my favorite is uh, regarding the structure of the show and how it, the ratio of magic to music. Mm-hmm. Frank Rich said. It's as if someone were to produce a show starring Barbara Streisand and let her sing only four or five songs so that the rest of the evening could be devoted to dog acts. <laughs> That's so <laughs> rude. Um, I, so the, the, the quote that kind of sums up the show the best is this one. It, uh, Frank Rich, New York Times, says, The show I saw Thursday is by no means in chaos. That's nice. It, it's slickly produced with a well-oiled physical production by the same high-power design team responsible for 42nd Street, A Chorus Line, Dreamgirls, obviously the hits of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, choreography by Christopher Chadman and Billy Wilson is skillfully danced, even if it is mediocre. The performances are as polished as the caliber of the cast and the material will allow. The maladies that affect this musical, I'm afraid, seem to be built into its very conception. Yeah. Um, I got some others here. Frank Rich said that the humor was not at the level of The Muppet Show, which I find offensive. I love The Muppet Show. Well, maybe what he meant was genuinely funny. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Henning, who plays Merlin, cannot act, dance, or sing. The few lines and song lyrics that Mr. Henning does get to recite are mumbled. When he is not performing his illusions, he just smiles absently and seems to be an anonymous gatecrasher at his own party. (laughs) <laughs> and when you when you see the clips you know exactly what he's talking about Pre- and yes. as mean as mean as some of the new york critics are you know throughout the decades they're usually pretty on the nose you know uh can i get do you have any more things from frank rich before i give his yes uh, his... uh miss Re- miss rivera and mr lane each have several villainous numbers that all sound alike Miss Rivera works like a demon, by the way, and looks quite funny in red and copper lame insect wings. Two good guys and one ingenue, Edmund Blindeck, George Lee Andrews, and Michelle Nicastro, also pop up to lend their muscular voices to songs that make little point and no impression. <laughs> uh, Robin Wagner's sets, elaborate as they are, prove more dark, steely, and austere than fun. They suggest what Kismet might have looked like if it had been designed by Albert Speer. That's a pretty cut. That is a deep cut, considering <laughs> Speer was a, what minister of armaments and war production in Nazi Germany. <laughs> I mean, come on, what a review! Jeez, you got to bring the Nazis into the bedroom. <laughs> come on, how bad could it be? Let the kids enjoy the magic show, you know. Well, here's speaking of the kids. So this is how he closed out that review children who are old enough to appreciate magic but not old enough to be bored by tireless tirelessly prancing chorus boys say (laughs) (laughs) say those from the age god say those from the age of five to twelve will undoubtedly enjoy merlin on its own terms okay good parents accompanying them may well wish that they knew the secret of Mr. Henning's truly remarkable vanishing act. Wow. Oh, 
God, that's so, so bad. That's rough. That is rough. You know, I I I was think just thinking to myself, you know, if it if it was meant to be a blockbuster moneymaker, they should have put together some other type of show at Madison Square Garden. You know, the the very fact that you are opening in a Broadway theater gives it, you know, you expect a Broadway show. Yeah, you have a certain expectation, exactly. Um, uh, okay, uh, a couple other things I want to mention before we wrap this up. Uh, the director of the show, the original director was Frank Dunlop. Any idea who he is? That name's really familiar. All right, so he's best, no- a British guy, he's best known for staging the original Joseph. Okay. Um, really, you know, uh, more well-known in Britain for doing big Shakespearean productions. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to run the Edinburgh Festival in the 80s. Uh, he also founded a BAM theater company in oh. Brooklyn. Um, his Wikipedia page notably does not have Merlin listed. <laughs> <laughs> and he was replaced in previews as director by, you might remember this name from earlier in the podcast, Ivan Reitman. The director of Ah. Lil Abner that uh, Doug Henning was in earlier in his life. Now, uh, Reitman would eventually go on to do some of our favorite films of all time. Meatballs, Airplane, Ghostbusters, Animal House, um, and then later on, uh, Kindergarten Cop and Space Jam. So, Mm -hmm. we know and love Ivan Reitman. (laughs) I wonder what his Lil Abner was like. Part of the show that we're going to do every time is we're going to, and I know your answer already... We're going to talk about, could the show work? Could small changes have done it? Could it have worked in today's theater scene? Oh, are you asking me? I'm asking you, and I know your answer. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> no. Okay. You can't. You cannot save Merlin. There's nothing that could save Merlin. The, the only I... point of it existing was Doug Henning's presence, and he's moved on. Could you save... A magic musical in general. Well, you know what? Never say never, Mark. I, I just, you know why I'm going after this? Because I love Barnum, which is basically a circus act disguised as a musical. Uh, okay, I see that. And the sh- that show did very well. I, I, It would be performed more often if... Um, it's funny, like it Barnum sits in that funny, like obviously there's a big spectacle part of the show that whenever you mount Barnum... You know, you have to hire your singers, your dancers, your actors, and, and your circus folks. Or if you're me, I'm the full package. If you, if anyone's doing Barnum, do, do everything. Just anyway. email me; I'll be right there. <laughs> All right, well, folks, uh, we just we just gave you a little taste of the Broadway flop, Merlin. Good night and break a leg, and don't forget, don't don't forget, you can't spell hopeful, hopeful without flop. <laughs> Shall we send the audience off with a song, maybe? A clip of something? Okay, as long as we don't get sued. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Who cares? (laughs) Where did the ducks go? It's about magic. It's about magic. It's about wonder. It's about magic.